used to be called Collins Rendezvous. Oh, that, that actually Rendezvous road. at the end of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So there was kind of, no, we don't like that. So they had a, a, Woodfield. a, a vote. Yeah. yeah, because when I was walking around here, I was saying, everything's, do you know what it was? It was uh, my stepfather. Right. When we came here, and he was saying, over by Moonbase. And I was kind of saying, I don't know Moonbase Road, I don't know Moonbase Avenue. <laughs> and he said, no, <coughs> everything is yeah, or yeah. associated with yeah. space or anything it, like that. It, 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 it's the, the first lunar landing, Apollo 11. So Armstrong, Neil Armstrong is the first man on the moon. And Buzz Aldrin is the second man on the moon. So there's Aldrin Walk and Armstrong something else. And Tranquility Road, is it? Grove. Is, and, yeah. Grove, is it? So, so tri- Tranquility is, the Sea of Tranquility is, is a place on the moon. And Tranquility Base, I think, is, is where they landed, where the lunar la- module landed. And they call it, you know, Tranquility Base. You know, this is you know, Houston, this is Tranquility Base. And Eagle something is the, is the actual module that landed. That it was called the Eagle. You know, that the eagle has landed. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It's, it's all to do with the first lunar landing. And do you, do you have an interest in it? Like, did you follow that? Or was that just big growing up as a, as a boy? Yeah, I, I do have an interest in it, yeah. But uh, one of my first memories uh, of my father, one, one of my very first memories was when I was sitting uh, watching the lunar landing with my dad. And it was, I, I, must, I think it was four or four and a half or something. And he called me in and he was saying, you know, this history, blah, 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 blah. It's a whole tiny little snowy black and white TV. And yeah, so that's, that's one, one of, of my earliest memories. memories. Was it clear back then watching that? <laughs> Can't remember. <laughs> it was clear enough. Yeah. Was like, yeah. So it was clear as if like uh, you were getting a, a dodgy reception on a yeah. football match that you wanted to watch. You would still watch it, yeah. you know? But uh, yeah, it was... So I, I was fascinated by looking at the names. You're giving me a, a lesson on where I live. That's crazy. That's crazy. I was fascinated by it. But, but just fascinated by the names. And I was particularly fascinated by the Woodville. Like, I was going, that's completely out of place there. Because mm. they're all uh, based on the, on the first lunar landing. And then I Google it. Yeah. So, so does Woodville have nothing to do with the lunar landing? Or... Yeah, well, it, it changed the name. Yeah. In, so in it was this place was built in either must have been the late early seventies. Yeah. Say. And the sixty nine was the the first lunar landing, and sometime in the seventies, I think it was late seventies, they they it used to be called uh, Collins's Collins Rendezvous. Rendezvous, Collins Rendezvous, and they didn't like the name. So people started clicking up over the name. So, did, did so they went to the, the, the Dublin City Council and they had a vote among the residents and decided to change the name. Yeah. And has Woodville got anything to do with the Lona Land? No, no, no. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Why would so you I don't know why they picked Woodville. Like, yeah. I don't know where Woodville Probably came from. Probably just sounds, fits in. But it definitely <laughs> doesn't fit in here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And it was, it, like, it stuck out like a sore thumb when I was looking on Google Maps. It's going, ah. Yeah, that's a crazy one, isn't it? Piqued my curiosity. So, today in the Jack of All Trades podcast, we have Richard Shannon. Rich, thanks for joining me and thanks for your time. Come down, come down. A man of many trades, a master of quite a lot as well. So, uh, 
you started back and speaking of trade, you became a carpenter out of school. I did, yeah, yeah. I, my, all my family, my grandmother's brothers were carpenters and my mother's brother uh, was a carpenter as well, named Richard also. And I always wanted to be a carpenter. And but it, like the, the, they were Gormans and they were s- synonymous with carpentry in, in Cork. And one of my uncles was, um, he was the president of the Carpentry Junior for years. So I, uh, I, I wanted to be a number of things. I wanted to be a carpenter when, when I was young. I wanted to be an archaeologist. And I wanted to be a soldier. And I, uh, I, I completed my trade in, in a joinery shop in, in Cork. And I later joined the army at 25. And uh, I didn't become an archaeologist. <laughs> but, uh, Not yet. Yeah. No, no, no. Wouldn't surprise me. <coughs> but uh, I, I, I delve into the history all right, of, of people's minds, I suppose. So it's kind of a archaeology of uh, the human mind. Yeah, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. That really uh, is. straws there. Yeah. <laughs> What were sites back like then? So a lot, like you always hear our lads now to me, you wouldn't last the day in Amoyne. Berlin sites, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Well, I, I served my time in a joinery shop. Before that, I was working as a like a, a carpenter's mate. Yeah. Uh, on Berlin sites. And it was, it was rough as, it was rough <laughs> as good. There was uh, like the bare barrels and uh, milk crates for scaffolding, that, that kind yeah. of thing. And, and any serious bit of scaffold and then you'll be putting up yourself like well you'll be just throwing it together no sideboards or anything the kind of very little safety no such thing as health and safety back then not at all no no there was there was no uh no safe passes or anything like that no no courses to fall asleep on yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. so the joinery shop was you kind of felt a bit more comfortable there um it was what i got uh i went into um it was i think it was manpower at the time which preceded force and I went in and said, look, I, I was out of school and I, I was looking for work. And they said, oh, what are you interested in? And I said, yeah, I'd, I'd like to be a carpenter. I'd, I'd always want to be a carpenter. And as luck would have it, somebody had contacted them that day from a joinery shop just on the outskirts of Cork City. And they were looking for um, to take on somebody under the work experience program at the time. And this was mid 80s. I can't remember exactly what year it was mid 80s and early no Jesus early 80s 82 83 I'd say and um there's this thing called the work experience program and and you were working for uh 20 pounds um a week and you but you were getting experience mm. you're getting some work experience so I said yeah go for that and uh I, I was offered an apprenticeship afterwards and it just happened to be in the joinery shop so I kind of fell into it really it was the right place at the right time and yeah, enjoyed it. So when you were a carpenter, and obviously you qualified, yep. was there still that bug for the soldier, that little itch of what if? Or there was, yeah. I had, I wasn't after starting my apprenticeship that long, and I had been in the FCA, and senior artillery unit in the FCA, really loved it, really, really, really enjoyed it. And I had decided that I'd, I wanted to join the army, so... I applied for uh, recruitment and there was a ban on recruitment at the time. So it was like really the bad old days. It was real, the, the real recession. And there was ban on recruitment for, for quite a while. And I was, I think it might have been a year into my apprenticeship. And I got called for recruit training. 
And I was, oh, Jesus, this is a brilliant challenge. I was, I was going to go for it and I really wanted to go for it. And uh, I was uh, chatted to by a, a number of people. And uh, one of them was an uncle of mine was a carpenter as well. And he said, look, you know, the army will always be there. And, you know, if you, if you do your apprenticeship, very difficult to get an apprenticeship at the time. He said, you have it now. You have another few years left. You, it'll be valuable to you in the army, even and getting into the army. He said, the army will always be there, but you, you might never get this chance again. And unusually for that time, I actually took some somebody's advice and I said, OK, yeah, that uh, made sense. And I... Um, I finished my apprenticeship. I was in there for another couple of years and I reapplied to 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 join. And I was waiting for a recruit platoon to, to form again. And then and eventually in 1989, I was called for recruit training. I started in January 1990 and uh, I spent nine years in, in the army and uh, loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it. Uh, so it was I'm delighted that I got my trade as well. You know, I was just about to ask that: <coughs> do, do you look back at it now and say you're glad you stuck with the trade, or could you? Have done yeah, that? I, I, I am. It, uh, it, it has been a, a great fallback position for me on on a number of occasions throughout my life that I, I was able to 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 fall back in it and and, and earn some money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even when I came to Dublin first in 2000, I was back on on the building site. You know, after after being out of it for for quite a while, and one of the the my main um experiences in the army which uh, had very many but one of the kind of changing points in in my life really and uh, not just in in the army was in in 1994 uh the rwandan uh civil war had started and i was i was looking at it on on tv and I was going, oh, Jesus, I'd, I'd love to be able to get out there and go there. Because in, I think, 89 was the the Ethiopia crisis and the, 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 the Band-Aid thing and the, the uh, yeah, all, all of that. Band-Aid with, with Bob Geldof and stuff. And I would have loved to have gone to, to work in Ethiopia at the time. and But I couldn't because I, I was working in, in, a, in the building line on a joinery shop. And I wasn't able to go and but I really really wanted to and I was like I felt a real strong urge to to go and help uh, the the refugees in in Ethiopia and when the time came to um when I saw the the thing unfolding in Rwanda the army eventually looked to send a, a platoon of of um soldiers out and I they were, they were looking for uh, tradespeople and I was in an infantry unit, but I, but I had my trade. So I was able to apply to go to Rwanda as, as a tradesperson and, and I was accepted and, and I went and um, it was like there was 38, 39 of us went out and it was a, a profoundly life changing experience. So it was one of the, to, when, when you look back on it, 2020 yeah. being what it is, I, w- I was really delighted that I had served my time at this stage and I didn't know when I was served my time how it was going to serve me uh, so many years later. And and I know it sounds a little bit cheesy as well, uh, I'm aware of that, but, uh, but I genuinely felt that at the time 
that when I went to Rwanda, I was able to go and get paid it, because I was being paid by the army. I was, I was paid, being paid by the UN also. And it was, I, I remember, I remembered to the time when, when the Ethiopia crisis was going on, I was thinking when, when the Rwanda thing was going on, Jesus, now I'm, I'm going and I'm representing, representing Ireland um, in the Rwandan refugee camps. And I'm representing people like me a number of years back who would have loved to have gone, but I wasn't able to go. And there was other Irish people who were able to go at that stage who, who had the opportunity to go and, and had the ability to go and had the wherewithal to go. Um, but, but I really strongly felt that I was I was representing other people who would have been like me many years before, you know, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I started with a lot of pride, uh, to be honest. Um, yeah, I have a lot of pride and I'm, I'm very proud of the work that we did over there. Um, yeah. What was it in you that wanted to go so much? What was this born in Azua? Um I think um, I wouldn't... Uh, I suppose I know I know myself enough now because I'm I'm in my fifties and I know that some of the the qualities that I have as a human being and and I, I know that I'm I'm a genuine uh, deep down I'm a genuine kind caring person and I I cared for my fellow human beings and I, I had that um, I didn't even know what it was at the time but when I was looking at the the people. Um, in in the famine in, in in Ethiopia, Jesus, I was overwhelmed with emotion, and like I I, I just had that um, unconscious drive to go and help, and I didn't know where it was coming from. It was like some humane part of me. Uh, I'm an old hippie at heart. I'm young and <coughs> I. I I didn't know what was going on. We don't, we don't get taught that as skilled, especially over mm. Rwanda. What was, what was it? What was actually going on yeah, there, over Rwanda? Yeah, there was, there was a civil war um, in Rwanda um, between two tribes, and one was a, a ruling tribe. Um, I think they were the Tutsis at the time. Sorry, the Hutus. Yeah, the Hutus, I think, were in power. And they were, um, they were, they were trying to kind of cleanse the area of, of the Tutsis. And I'm not doing this much justice now. Mm. But they, they, and they, they slaughtered thousands and thousands in, in Rwanda. And then the, the Tutsis rose up. So the, apparently, I, I think there was a, um, a hassle or, you know, grief between those tribes many times over the years. And, and, the Tutsis were driven out of Rwanda in, in a number of, of places and there was Tutsi rebel, rebels around the place in different countries. And when the, the genocide started in Rwanda, a lot of them rolled, uh, banded together and, and came back into Rwanda and, and actually overthrew the, the Hutus. So the Hutus were in power and mm -hmm. they were, they were the, the initial um, people who were the cause of, of, of the, the, the genocide and, and a lot of the, the slaughter. And then they were the ones who went on the run. They were driven out of the country and the Tutsis, Tutsis took over. And I, I actually worked in, in the refugee camps w w with the Hutus. And uh, so who were, you know, absolutely maimed and slaughtered and killed as well. And uh, 
but like I, I often remember and, and other people were saying as well, like, you know, when you look at some of the men of a particular age, the men, men in particular, of course, and, and of a particular age, you'd be thinking, yeah, well, what, what atrocities did they perpetrate? And, and, and before they ended up on the receiving end of it. So it was, it was, it was, it was quite complex. And uh, we were just there. Uh, I was on succumbing to UNHCR, the High Commission for Refugees, and we were looking after refugees. And, you know, we, so um, you were there in the middle of this, in the midst, like when this yeah, was yeah. happening? Yeah, it was, it was post, post the Civil War. So they, they were uh, driven out into surrounding countries. And uh, I actually ended up in, it was Zaire at the time, it's the Democratic Republic of Congo now. Um, and any uh, country that has to put democratic in it, in its name isn't very democratic, <laughs> but uh, it was Zaire then. And um, they, it was just over the border from, from Rwanda. And the refugee camps were set up there and uh, there was like a million refugees there. And there was like, there was ferocious um, death and, and, and um, sickness in, in the refugee camps. So there was, uh, through the, the refugee camps, there was a cholera epidemic and a dysentery epidemic. And, and that killed many, many, many thousands of, of refugees. Um, and a lot of them would have been HIV positive as well because it's sub-Saharan Africa um, and, and their immune system would have been weakened. But uh, a lot of them died from you know, cholera, dysentery, uh, um, yeah, uh, lack of food as well. Yeah, um, yeah it, was, it was horrific. Yeah. We were um, flown in by the Americans. We, we went from Dublin to Germany and we spent five days in an airbase in Germany, Rheinman Airbase in um, Frankfurt. And then we were flown in by the Americans, the Galaxy Globemasters. And as, as we were going out, <coughs> there were a number of American soldiers getting on the, on the plane to, to, to head off home. And one of them said, it was like this brilliant catchphrase we always remember said welcome to hell buddy we're out of here and uh it was it was hell on earth yeah it was absolutely hell on earth and we worked in refugee camps every day and stepping over people and like dead bodies and picking up you know dead bodies at, at times um just to clear clear the ways and help yeah it was it was was there ever regret that you went no absolutely not absolutely not um no, I, I was uh, you know, very, very proud of the work that I did um, there. And, um, you know, it, it was a real eye-opener. And it, I suppose, it, it, it kind of woke me up. Like, I was, um, I think, what age was I? That's it. 28, 29, I think. And, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was married a few years at that stage. I was um, married, married seven or eight years at that stage. Um, and I was just in a kind of comfortable, comfortable life, just clicking on by. Mm. And, and like even a couple of years before, I'd, I'd been in Rwanda, which was a, a very um, um, interesting 
time as well, kind of woke me up a bit as well. But Jesus, like in in Rwanda and you're, and you're, we were driving out to the refugee camps every day and <clears throat> every morning when we drove out early in the morning, the bodies would be lined up at the side of the road. So people who would have died that evenings in the refugee camps were wrapped up in maybe little bits of plastic sheeting or their ground mats that they might have had. And the the parcels were lined up along the side of the road uh, for collection. And it was then the, the um, pickup trucks would come along and the, the bodies would picked up and um, it was like refuge refuse collection and the bodies would be thrown into mass graves and the the stench was incredible um, and you'd it just, so every single morning you're driving out and um, the, these parcels of all sizes um, tiny little bundles to, to large ones uh, men women and children uh, were at the side of the road and every single day and we would we we worked in the the refugee camps we were on secondment to unhcr so as a unit of, of engineers uh to be available to any of the ngos that that required us so we worked in various refugee camps um making dining halls um plastic sheeting ones and timber um uh, toilets, showers to give people some sort of dignity to, to go to the toilet and, and, and even to contain it um, and showers for washing um, we, we built stretchers um, we um, and on other days off we used to have uh, Sunday off and we built um, um, playgrounds built some playgrounds in, in some of the refugee camps uh, for the children. Uh, so that was their day off. And uh, it was, yeah, it was, it was phenomenal. So we, we were walking and, and, and walking through the refugee camps. We were off the, off the beaten tracks. We were driven in, get out, get into wherever we were working. And as you were walking along, you, you'd be stepping over dead bodies. You know, people are just there and like people might have been like had been very weak hadn't been collected yet and you, you died there on the spot and you're just kind of stepping over them you're stepping out of the way and and I remember one stage um we were walking towards in towards a, a job that we were doing and uh we were, had, had to get off the the track and we were walking along and one of, one of my friends goes Richie watch it here man and I just looked down. I was just about to stand on somebody's face. And um, it was uh, a middle-aged woman. And she, she died there, obviously. And she rigged mortis, it said. And she had her hands up like this. And just kind of, um, yeah, I, I was just about to stand there. And I thought, Jesus. And it, it, it really made me think about my mortality. And it made me think about mortality in general. It made me think about life or, or our lives what's what's going on what we, what we think is important what we think isn't important uh materialism i i act and uh i um yeah it, it I, I was i remember looking down at that person thinking jesus that could be me just but for the 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 accident of 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 where you were born i could be born somewhere else or 
be a civil war somewhere, <clears throat> and uh, that, that could be, that could be me. That that could be me there, and I could I could be dead. And um, yeah, it was it was uh, very very thought provoking. And I came back, and uh, I I actually I, I changed my whole life. I changed my life upside down when I came back. Uh, I, I broke up our marriage. Um, I, I I ended the marriage. Um, and uh, changed my life a lot. Changed changed my my thoughts a hell of a lot. I came back on I think mid December, and I was. Uh, like so many, you know, so many stories and so many things that happened, and I felt like really proud of some of the stuff that I did, and and so many mad stories as well, because you know we were over East Africa, but we were in like Kenya and on, on leave and Zanzibar and like really some exotic places, and and it was, it was the Wild West, like Kenya and Nairobi was the absolute Wild West at the time, it was wild. Um, and it was really, really edgy. And like where we were working was, was flipping edgy as well. And I couldn't wait to come back and like tell people about it. Because I was thinking, wow, Jesus, this, this is phenomenal. This is amazing. And like particularly my soldier friends, like, and came back, landed back, um, split up with my, my ex-wife anyway, which was a terrible time. And it was right into December. It was middle of December. People were going berserk like shopping christmas shopping and lights and i was just couldn't believe it you know and nobody wanted to know anything nobody's oh how'd you get on mm. yeah welcome back and but nobody really wanted to know and uh nobody was, cared yeah nobody cared yeah yeah nobody cared yeah did you and, become accustomed to seeing death every day did oh you? yeah jesus yeah absolutely i didn't think that was possible yeah 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 you um yeah absolutely um and you know all so we all saw people be murdered um uh there was one day we were coming back in one evening from the refugee camps we come back in before it gets dark and there was a bit of uh, kerfuffle on the road it was a bit of um um a bit of a traffic jam and then there was there was a a checkpoint, not, not a checkpoint, but it was, it was, people had stopped this minibus and people were starting to attack the minibus and um, they opened the doors and started pulling people out. And uh, this guy, I, I just saw this guy with a, a machete and he was like jumping through the open windows, yielding the machete at, at this man. And the man had his hand up and he was like, he was getting hacked in front of us. And I wanted to get out. Um, I was like, we were stopped behind it, and you no, know, we were in an unarmed capacity. So we weren't armed. We were we were with UNHCR. We were there as as engineer group with with military background for sure. But we were in an unarmed capacity. Um, and I, I I just my my first instinct was to get out and like help, you know, and like if I can well able to look after myself even even unarmed. And uh, the the sergeant who was who was in charge of the vehicle at the time just told the driver, "Drive on, drive on, drive on," and and drove through. And uh, like I, I I couldn't even look at that guy afterwards. And uh, uh, for for years and years, I I, I felt fierce resentment towards him, and, and I felt 
quite a bit of anger and, and a bit of shame for, for not doing anything. But I, I think in hindsight, he probably saved our lives, you know. Um, mm. but, but my instinct was to... To get out and to, help. To go and help, yeah. yeah. Um, and you say so. your thought process changed. Mm. So when you came home and it was mid-December, mm. what do you mean your thought process had changed? Um, <clears throat> I, I had... Um, I, I had no time for materialism at, anymore. And so I, I was coming into the Christmas season. And so like when I saw the, the spending on ridiculous carry-on and um, you know, the main presence and the, the, the greed and oh, it, was, it was horrendous. So my, my thoughts changed on that for sure. Um, I... As I said, I, I, I kind of felt like I, I had woken up because I had been in like like the waking dead. I was in this waking slumber, kind of doing the same thing day out every day or every weekend. We'd go to the same local pub with the same number of people and family and sit in the same chairs. And bearing in mind, like I'm, I'm 29, like at the, at this stage, I was going, Jesus Christ. Like, like the, so the, the thought that I have only one life and we're only passing through and all of these cliches came to me and, and I really started to think about them. And the thing about cliches is that they're said so often that they lose their meaning. So we, we've only one life. We might as well make the most of it. True so we're only that. passing through. Don't think about it. But when you're looking at death every single day and you're stepping over people and you're seeing people dying and in all sorts of ways and mass graves and uh you 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 begin to really think about life like life and death you know and that that made me kind of gave me the, the bravery to to change my life um a lot a hell of a lot and yeah it's like every man has two lives the force one begins when he realised he only has one. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. So, so that, you think if you hadn't went to Rwanda, mm. or you haven't seen these things, mm. why, do, why do you say bravery to change? Uh, pe- people don't like change. Pe- people like it. Um, they like the known. They like whatever it may be. They like, their, they like to be in the zone and, and we call it comfort zones, but they don't necessarily have to be comfortable. But once they're predictable, you know what you're going to get, you know what it's going to be, um, you know what's going to happen, you know how much money you're going to have, and you, you're, you're comfortable in that, in that way of being. And what I mean by comfortable is, is you know that you can cope with it. You can know you can deal with it. And if it kept on going, plot, 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 you, you can't, it, it's difficult to see much better, but at least it won't necessarily get much worse. And you, you can cope with it. So people, I understand why, why people don't like change because change is uncomfortable. Change can be really uncomfortable. But the thing that people have to realize is that there, there is no progress without change. And if you want to progress, then you have to change even the small little things. Yeah. So it, 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 there's, there's, there's a bravery in 
in, in changing, I think. And like, I, I look back and I think when, you know, I, I, I didn't really want to get married. Like I was 16 when, when I met my ex, uh, I was engaged on my 21st birthday, got married at 22 and a half, really, really young. And I, I didn't even want to get married, but I wasn't brave enough to say that. I was thinking about, my, it was some of my self-talk, I always speak about self-talk now in, in, in the work that I do. So my self-talk was, oh my God, what would the neighbours think? So we were, I was a neighbour of, of, mm. of my ex-wife and I think, what, what would the neighbours think? What would my cousins think? What would my mother think? What would my, what would my, my siblings think? So I, 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 I went and I drove forward and got married because I was afraid of what people would think. And I, in the end, when, it, when I made the decision and, and, and came back and, and, and split up, uh, it, was, it, was, it was a huge scandal. And like I hadn't, or my friends were our friends and a, a lot of them sided with my ex-wife. In, in this, for, for what you mean by sided, but um, I, I ended up not having very many friends. And for a time, I was ostracized, ostracized from my family, even the, the vast majority of them. And, and uh, that, was, that was tough. It was a really, really difficult time. And that got off coming back from working in a refugee camp yeah. for four and a half months. Um, yeah, so it was. I, I, I think at the time I thought was brave and I think in hindsight I, I still think was brave um, some people would say cowardly but might have been too other people might think that um, but it was it was difficult it wasn't an easy path for sure it was, let me ask it was you difficult. a question <clears throat> was there ever because you're quite experienced in life mm. is there did you ever make change and regret it <sighs> Particularly, um, not nothing, nothing huge springs to mind, Jack. Um, when uh, part of me regrets that I left the army, uh, but the other part of me, uh, I, I, I'm delighted that I left the army because I, I went on and had a number of other careers, and I'm still forging her career um that's completely a million miles away from the army um but but i missed the camaraderie of it um i was in the i was in a lot of shooting teams i was in the army parachute team and I, I, like I, I miss all of that i miss i miss the, the buzz of it you know um i would i would have loved to have gone overseas a lot more but when i think of it i i just think i'm glad i joined because I was, I was, I, and I got to join. I was nearly twenty five when I joined the army, so I had a, I had a late vocation. I could have joined years earlier when I was about nineteen. Mm. And I'm glad I left. I'm glad I joined. I'm glad I left. And uh, I, I genuinely believe that. And I, I don't know. I don't have that many regrets. Um, I, yeah, no, yeah, I suppose, yeah. I was going to talk about something that I, that I decided not to do in the end, but uh, <laughs> I, I regret that for sure. Uh, but 
things that I changed um, and regret. No, no, no. So you think it's it's important that not we seek change, but if somebody is making change at the moment and they feel like it's tough, it's isolating, it's lonely, mm. it mm. does get better. It certainly does. Yeah, it, it gets better with time for sure. Um, and and I think. It, it would it's it's i suppose beneficial to know uh why you're making the change what what is the purpose of it just just for change alone and sometimes change is, is foisted upon us as well like world pandemics or something like that um but if if you're choosing to make a change and and thinking about it we uh, which we do like we 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 think about it and contemplate it for for quite a while um it, it's important to think about what what is the purpose is what why why am I making this change and and what am I working towards and then you can start setting goals about it or, or for it and you can start imagining it visualizing it um and and seeing it as um a, a step towards something else and but sometimes it it can be depending on what it is like if, if people are listening now they they're like what we all do when, when we're listening to to talks or podcasts or lectures or whatever we we um contextualize it to ourselves and to our own lives yeah. and like so what i might be talking about what i might have in my mind when i'm talking about this it, it might it mightn't relate at all to to somebody else's life or somebody else's decision to change and because sometimes we we change out of desperation sometimes we change to to stop the pain to stop to stop the unhappiness stop stop the sadness and you know it, it, it's because sometimes we change because we can't stay in this a situation any longer because it's it's become so unbearable um and 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 then we're out and we, you know, we, we either out of desperation or bravery or whatever, and then we're out and then, then you have to think about, okay, what will I do now? And that's what happened for me when, when I split up, uh, uh, um, with, with my marriage and I was, um, I had very, very little money. Um, I was living in the barracks, uh, in the army barracks. So I, over to Lou really um except a room in the army barracks um i had the, the capacity to make money it was it was i worked on doors for a while uh for for quite a while after that but i remember at one stage i had um two pounds and it was the day before payday and lunch in the army was was a pound and dinner in the army was one pound fifty and I had two pounds and I had to decide whether I'll have lunch or dinner. And that was one of my low points in life. I was going, okay, what will I do? What will I have? And it, like, I still had roof over my head and stuff, you know, but I, mm. like I was, it was, it, it was a tough old time. And, uh, but what I did also when I was, the, the, the army barracks is is a buzzy old place and there, there's lots of lots of things going on during the day but they come 4 30 the, the barracks clears out and there's there's very 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 few people left in the evening and on the weekend there's nobody around there's lads on duty or whatever and 
had a lot of time to think and didn't have any TV. And I had, to, I, I started to think, well, okay, what is it that I always wanted to do? And what is it that I would have loved to have done if I had this time? And, and I, I had to kind of go back and think about some of the stuff that I, that I wanted to do and would like to have done. And one of the things that I wanted to do was uh, paint. And I, I said, it's like something really simple. I was going, Jesus, I always, I always thought I'd, I'd like to learn to paint. And, and I took art classes, so watercolor classes, and really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Um, not, not a good artist, but I really enjoyed it. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. Um, and then I thought, yeah, Jesus, I would was in school i was in 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 a in a, involved in a theater production um one of the years ago. just i'd love to get involved in theater in some way shape or form again um so i went down to the everyman theater and i uh started working front of house there and so in the evenings volunteering there front of house showing people to their seats and working the shop and um then i met met other people who were working front of house and then eventually we kind of met other people who worked in act, actors and stuff like that. And, and uh, then there was a production going on um, that were looking for extras. So it was, it was a, some musical, world premiere musical. That means that nobody ever did it before. Um, and uh, so it, a, a friend of mine from the, from the Everyman uh, said, yeah, I'm, I'm one in and I'm going to be um, um, an extra on it and, and uh, or, or in, in the chorus and I said she, she was saying like they're, they're looking for men like they're, they're really short men so I said okay sure give it a go on to, you know terrified like <laughs> like fucking two left feet when it comes to dancing and like I hate dancing and stuff and uh, but uh, it, was, it was great really enjoyed it and then I, I eventually moved to Ennis. I, I was living with a woman there for, for quite a while. And I joined a musical society down there. And I was in a couple of musicals in Ennis. And uh, she also really enjoyed that as well. And um, yeah, I loved it. They're like stuff like that. So, you know, I, I, I had to think about, well, okay, what am I going to do now? Okay, right. Right. This your life. You've changed your life now. What is it that you want to do? There you are talking about mortality and I've only one life. And you might as well make the most of it. And da, 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 da. So I said, okay, <laughs> what am I going to do? And, you know, I started reading some books, started reading collective works of, of Oscar Wilde, and, you know, it's like really different stuff. And got involved in uh, gardening a bit. I grew a few old plants in, in my room and in, uh, in, in the barracks. And, uh, and then, yeah, so I... I, I really enjoyed it, you know, and yeah. it, it, was, it was an exciting time. You know? So it's, it, change can be very, very scary, but it can be exciting as well. Speaking of change, why, why did you change and say, what, what, what made you leave the army? <laughs> My experience is in Rwanda. How long, how long after? When you came back uh, in December, how long was it? 99. I, I, that was, uh, I left, I came back in, in December 94. And in 99, I, I left. So, um, and I left, but I, I did took a career break in 98. So I, I really left in 98 because um, mm. I had uh, studied uh, hypnotherapy. Um, so that was another thing that I wanted to do. Okay. I uh, really 
had a huge interest in the, in, in the mind and the power of the mind and stuff like that. Um, so I, I was in Rwanda and we were like allowed, we were given huge freedom and autonomy to, to do certain things. And I, there was myself and another guy were, were sent out to do this huge build and, and like you, you, you get all the material, you, you put the materials together, you get a couple of people to help you and, and you do it. And like, you're, you're two privates like in the army and uh, I'm like, Jesus, not in a million years would we be given that autonomy back, back here in Ireland, in the army. And I remember one day being there, being over there and it was like, it was just a very different way. And, and I just thought, you know what? the army is never going to be the same again after this. And, and it never was like it never was. And like when the, we were on coming back and we were on, on, on different, um, say guards of honor or something like that. And like military drills and stuff and just, just foot drill and stuff like the mon the mundane barrack life stuff. Mm. Jesus, this is, this is after getting a bit boring now, you know? And, uh, Thankfully, I was in the I was in the parachute club, so that that or the, the army parachute team, so that helped a lot to alleviate the boredom. What is the army <clears throat> parachute team? Where is it? What is it? Oh, what is it? Uh, so there's this uh, world military game. It's called uh, SISM. So it's it's like it's like the military Olympics, and they decided to uh, send a, a number of um, or a competed a number of disciplines. Boxing would have been one. Um, Skydiving, parachuting was, oh, okay. um, was another one. So I was in that army parachute team. I, I, I never went away w- with the team, uh, but I was there. I was in the the, the the competition team. We won the the national accuracy championships. So I was part of that team, and we were in the army uh, the parachute display team as well. So any any parachute displays that the army were called upon to do, we we would be called up to do them. You know. That was, that was interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of free skydives. Happy days. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I'm thinking back on one of the questions that you asked me about, like, do I do I regret uh, you know, making a change that that I regret? <clears throat> and one of them certainly was when I joined the army. I was I, I had to leave my 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 job obviously in in the joinery shop, and I was happy to do that. But I was running uh, a Taekwondo club in Cork as well, in Cork City. And uh, at that stage, I was, I was a second man in Taekwondo. I was, like, I was on the Cork Black Belt team quite regularly. And I was going to be in recruit training for about four and a half months and six months in total mm. between the two to three star training. So I, I had to give up the club. And I my, my cousin, who's, who still runs it, um is is he he took it over and i didn't think that i would go back to it because i i thought that with my military job and and career that i wouldn't have time for it and in hindsight i i wish i had kept it on and i i wish like I, i didn't even go back in training and taekwondo after that really um and and i i would have liked to have kept that on as well you know um, and your cousin runs that take on the club to this day yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 
das Polizeimädchen ein bisschen auf. Ja, ja. ja. ja look, oder uh, probably. Eventually, anyway, but yeah, well, was, I would have liked to have, have, have kept that on, you know. Yeah. So that's the change that I made that I, I, I do regret. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. And martial arts was a big, big thing in your life growing up. It was, yeah, it, it, it certainly was. Um, it, um, it, it, it shaped my, my thinking for sure and, and it shaped uh, my career. Like, like that's the reason why I'm, I'm in, involved in, in psychology and sports psychology you now. But I was doing martial arts since I was, Jesus, I, I can't remember. It was primary school, um, maybe eight, eight, nine, ten, that, that kind of age. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really don't remember. But um, there was a couple of my cousins, that, that cousin now, that, that I, I, I actually started Taekwondo with him. And his older brothers were involved in it. Um, and there was a guy from Dublin, um, Aidan Walsh, used to come down to Cork every week on the train. It go to Somel Street, Tech and Cork, run a couple of classes and get on the, the evening train and back up to Dublin. Uh, he was like the, the pioneer and, and father of, of Taekwondo in Cork and Taekwondo is, is very, very strong in Cork now. And, uh. So I went on and I, 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 I wanted to start a train in it and, and I went on and I was training and then uh, uh, from, from primary school and uh, it gave me, gave me huge confidence because uh, I'm from a, like a, Jesus, a staunchly working class area of, of Cork City. I grew up in, a, in a, a council or corporation estate in Cork City and uh, <clears throat> it was a tough old, tough old spot, you know. Um, like great spot. I'm very proud of where I'm from, and I'm 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 proudly working class. Um, but it was it was a tough old spot to to grow up in. And I remember uh, I had been training for a while. I thought, Jesus, it must have been only. I'd say I was training about five or six months. I'd say, and we were seven. My my friend were were coming back from the shop one day, and this guy. I think we were in third class. I'd say third or fourth class. And this guy was a sixth class guy and he was bigger than us at the time. You know, he was a bit of a bully, like, and uh, we were passing his house on our back and he, he stopped us. Like, he's going, okay, what have you got there? And he was just generally being an asshole. Being a bully. Yeah, being a bully. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so we were kind of a, a bit nervous and timid and he, uh, he spat on the ground and he says to me, pick that up. I'm not picking that up. See, you pick that up. I was going, I'm not picking that up. See, you pick that up, right? Da 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 da. And threatening us and wouldn't let us go past. And, you know, and, and uh, I, was, <laughs> I was twitching and twitching because I knew it was, I'd done quite a bit of training at that stage. We like about five or six months of training, but we did a bit of sparring. And I knew the punch. And uh, <laughs> I was going, Jesus, will I punch him? <laughs> and I, uh, I was thinking and thinking and thinking. I was going, oh, geez, I better not. No, I will. No, no, I better not. And eventually, I just, I cleaned him with a flipping hook and got him right across the jaw and uh, dropped him. And the two of us started running. And uh, I was going, Jesus, dead the following day um, in school. But he never even looked at us again in school. I was going, oh, okay. So it gave me huge confidence. Yeah. Huge confidence. 
to be able to stand up for myself. And um, I, uh, I, I love fighting. You know, I, I love sparring. Like, I absolutely love. You still it. do jujitsu to this day. Yeah, yeah. Right? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Uh, since be- before the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, that was a great journey. That was that was interesting um, to to get into jujitsu. Um, but yeah, yeah, like I I was um, I I it gave me great confidence walking around the place. Yeah. Then and like my my uh my estate anywhere and where i'm from anyway but like i was give me huge confidence and and till to this day i i, I have that that confidence you know it doesn't matter where i go and i i feel very comfortable in in working class areas or, or rough old estates or difficult old spots that wouldn't bother me at all yeah i probably feel more comfortable there than than in Kalini, you know <laughs> um to be honest um but yeah i uh I I started jiu-jitsu a couple of years ago and um that that was really interesting. I I I was in jazz I was well maybe you know, just maybe about fifty-three or fifty-four when I when I joined. And um I because I'd been working with with the guys in, in Team Rhino obviously and working particularly with with the the professional fight team and the MMA team and uh I I loved watching fighting. I loved watching uh, MMA, watching UFC. But I was, I was kind of, um, I, I, I didn't really understand the ground game, and I didn't understand what was happening when it, when I went to ground, and it kind of became a little bit boring for me looking at it. Mm. And um, but I, I wanted to kind of understand it for for the clients that I was working with anyway as well, but. I also was hanging around um, Team Rhino HQ for a long time, uh, up and down watching guys, and then I got really curious about it. And uh, I, even when I was doing Taekwondo, um, I, I was always kind of interested and curious about Judo and, and some, some other forms of grappling. And I, I would love to have got into it. And uh, it was kind of one of my regrets for, for years that, like, yes, I I should have, I should have done another martial art and I, mm. I should have done, if I was going to do another martial art, I would have done judo. And I, I was chatting to Andy one day and I said, Andy, you know, I'm thinking about doing jujitsu. He said, look, you know, answer me, this is no straight. I'm, I'm, am I too old? Do you think I'm too old? I said, not at all. Not at all. He said, no, Jesus, no. And uh, he said, come up, da, 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 next week. And he said, I, I, I'll give you a suit here. I'm sure I, I, have, I have the gear. And he said, give me long of this, da, da, da. And, oh, I was like a kid going up the stairs. It was like uh, into team right now. I was skipping up the, the first day. I was I was um, going training and uh, stuck on the gi and uh, um, and he gave me a belt. It was I think it was a kid's belt. <laughs> color was and uh, I was I, I was absolutely delighted. I was like a kid in a sweet shop and I was I was laughing at myself. I was going, Jesus, sure. Fucking Egypt, what are you doing? 54 years of age. Um, but I, I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it, yeah. And uh, I just stopped a little bit then because I was, I was running the marathon in uh, 2019. And um, then I was, I was went off to Thailand, run a half marathon there, and then she came back. And then the pandemic. So uh, but I, I'm looking forward to getting back to it. Yeah, know? it's hard to stay consistent in in a sport like that that's so close contact and with all the guidelines closing and ah, opening yeah, and yeah it's it's yeah it's probably one of the last ones that are going to be coming back i'd say it looks that way yeah 
But me being an old lad, I'd be getting vaccinated pretty soon. So yeah. yeah. I'd be, you I'd might be, be down the line, Rich. Don't get <laughs> that old. Not that far down the line. <laughs> so when you're making the switch, how, how did you get into performance psychology? I know you're saying when you were doing... Mm. You were always curious about the mind and how it works. Mm, but yeah. what actually, when was the move to, to study the mind? Um, when I came back from Rwanda, it was probably about a year later, I'd say. I was in a, filling a car with petrol or something. And, and I saw this ad for a, a hypnotherapy course. I was going, oh, Jesus, wow. And I, I had always been usually interested in, in the power of mind and and how we could harness it and how how we could use a mind to enhance performance fascinated by that because our, our own our instructors when i was younger were, were chatting about this quite a bit and one day i saw a, a hypnotherapy show um a, a stage hypnosis show and there was some stuff went on there and i was going oh my God, that's fascinating. That that's different. I was going, wow, that's that's really different, and that's really harnessing the power of mind in, in, in a different way. And I went to a couple of stage hypnosis shows, and I go, I, I laugh at it myself now because of what I know about hypnosis. But the at the start of stage hypnosis show, hypnosis shows, they ask people to put their hands together and. Um, it's it's a suggestion, suggestibility test. Mm. So imagine that your hands are glued together, and you know even if you do that, like physically do that, it's when you when you're squeezing your hands close together, it's hard to get them apart. So it's, it's nonsense really. But <laughs> like, so it's not hypnosis, you know. But it's it's like it's checking to see who will go along with this, yeah. and who who be susceptible susceptible to this. And then they would choose them to come up onto the stage. So I remember going to some of the shows and I, I used to sit on my hands. I thought, oh my God, I'm, I'm, there's no way I'm going up on that stage. And I would sit on my hands in case they would hypnotize me to make my hands go together and then they'd glue them. So that's how naive I was to it, you know. Um, but I, uh, I, 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 I was fascinated by it. And then I... I got to to do the course so i i, I rang this guy uh, joe keeney in, in cork great hypnotherapist in cork and uh he's uh running fabulous uh, hypnosis hypnotherapy courses and i was doing it for like for information and to, to know more about it and and to find out more about the power of our mind the power of our unconscious how to use it how we how we can tap into hypnosis and and how we can do all these amazing things and that's the only reason I was I was uh, doing the course. But then, as we were getting into it, uh, he was teaching it as as a therapy, which I didn't even realize at the time. Yeah. So it was hypnotherapy. So it was using hypnosis as a therapy, and uh, I I was fascinated by it, and I, I started to think, oh, oh, Jesus, yeah, that, that's interesting. Yeah, maybe maybe I could do that, and maybe I could help people to use the power of the mind to overcome anxieties and phobias and and also I, I could instantly see it as a, a wonderful tool to enhance uh, sport performance and so I, was, I, I, I could see the, the the potential in it going oh yeah wow yeah yeah so it it's it's um 
hypnosis is is um, language based. <laughs> me trying to scramble for my language. So it's it's language based, and it's it helps you to understand well what words to use and what words to avoid. And if you use these words, this is what will happen in your mind. If you use these words, this is what will happen or this will what what it will cause. And I was, I was fascinated by it. And it was like, you know, the 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 standard little thing that I do now often and people would know it and slag me about it at times like don't think of a bottle of water. So that that sentence, when when you say that sentence or an instruction, whatever you do, don't think of a bottle of water. You can't help but think of a bottle of water because of the words mm. that are in it. And you 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 think of a bottle of water or like um be careful don't fall off that wall. Don't don't hit that wall. Don't fall into that hole and that's what you think about that's that there the pictures are created in your mind so i started to think about all these years ago like how that could be so effective for for golfing say for example like here's the hole but oh my god look at the bunker there oh don't look at the bunker don't don't look at the lake yeah oh geez i better not hit that tree so then that's what's running in your head and that's, that's probably what you're going to hit like. Yeah. And, um, so I, I worked as a hypnotherapist for, for quite a while and uh, I, I found it amazing. Um, that was when I was living in Ennis. I eventually came to Dublin and I started working in a, in a training centre, community training centre in, in Dublin. And somebody told me about this programme called the STEPS programme and it was, it was based on... Uh, psychology uh, um, um, concepts, different psychology concepts and positive psychology concepts. And it was a great program. So I, I went on it and I trained as, as a steps facilitator and I, I've run steps in a number of, of places. And then I was asked, would I go and do um, a certificate in training and education in NUI Minute? So I had to, I trained in hypnotherapy and but I was 40 years of age and I was out in Minute at the induction day for the, the, the certificate in training of education. And I I use this as an example for other people. I use I use my own example as a, as kind of motivation for the people. So I was 40 years of age when I got my first student card. I had studied before, mm. but when I when I formally studied in a college and got my first student card, I was forty years of age, and I was like, wow! I, I was in Minute in this big lecture hall, and I, I just thought, oh my god, where has this been all my life? I want I want to stay in, in college forever, and then I was given the option to go on and do the diploma in, in training and education. You can eventually go on and do a degree, and they were paying for it, and. After the first year, I, I, so I did the certificate and I became open to the idea of, of furthering education, going to third level education in, in a deeper way. But I, I, it's, it's psychology I wanted to study. I always wanted to study psychology. 
and the, at the end of the first year, I and I was signed up for the for the second year of, of the, for the diploma in, in training and education. I found that there was a part time psychology degree in in Dublin Business School. I was going wow because I I couldn't do it full time because I was working and I need to pay the bills and pay the mortgage and stuff like that. I went on, I went on and uh, studied a degree in, in Dublin Business School and then I went and did the masters in um, in uh, sports psychology up in up in Jordanstown. So that that's that was a long journey as well. Uh, but I also said to people, time passes anyway. So, you know. Might as well use it. Well, yeah. Might as well get good use of it. Yeah. And, and it, it will pass. And like the, the world will keep on turning and you can either be where you are in four years time without a degree or with a degree. Or without a master's, with a master's. Without a cert, with a cert. And so the, the world is turning all of the time. And, and your, your tomorrow's will be based on the, the decisions that you make today. So be careful about the decisions that you make today. Yeah, it's yeah. so true. And you came out of the degree mm-hmm. and were you still in love and you still wanted to work in it? Yeah, I, I um, when, because I, I, I work in career guidance as well in, in, in employment service and I've been working there for the last 15 years. So I was, was aware of of the education system and, and aware of the different paths that you can take and, and what, what you need and require. And <clears throat> like when, when you get a psychology degree, it doesn't allow you, it's, it's a broad-based degree. Mm. So it, 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 you, you need to specialize in, in what field you, you, you want to work in. And I was looking at masters. So I, I, I don't think he even started the degree. Before I started a degree, my first year degree, I was looking at master's programs because I needed to do a master's if I wanted to work in psychology at, at least. And I wanted to do sports psychology and I looked at the master's and first year there was no part time sports psychology master's, only full time I was on Warford IT. And I looked at some some different masters and I was looking at maybe cyber psychology that was available. And there was another one as well. I, I can't recall. Um, we've been coaching or something. And then in, in second year, I looked at the masters. In third year, I looked at the masters. And in fourth year, I looked at the masters. And, and in third year, I had decided, okay, right, I, I'm going to do the cyber psychology one because I'm, I'm interested in... in computers and IT and social media stuff anyway. Um, and I, I would like to be interested in and understand like the psychology of that. So the interface between us humans and, and the technology. And it's a very interesting uh, field. And I, I had uh, um, decided that I was going to do it um, be, because only because there was no sports like one. And, and in the end, in, in, in fourth year, I heard of a, a part-time, uh, you could either do part-time or full-time. And I actually did a full-time, but it was considered full-time. But it was only one day a week um, up in Jordanstown. It was one day and, and some weekends. And you had to, you had to work through the, the summer so, uh, as well and do your thesis during the summer. So I was going, okay, wow, 
that's that's it drop everything it was like when i was in the training education yeah i saw the the part-time psychology was going, okay, brilliant yeah I'll drop everything and then uh, and go to psychology and it was the same with the masters it was, it was just and this was sports psychology yeah yeah it was, it was sport and exercise psychology it was yeah uh up in up in jordanstone um i was really lucky the way the way things turned out you know um <clears throat> and I, I got studying the, what i wanted to do what i wanted to study yeah yeah and uh, i love it yeah and I'd like to um, uh, take it in the direction of um, it, it more into the corporate world, I suppose, and more into the business end of things, working with, and, and, I, and I do a bit of it, like I, I coach some, some business people um, as well, uh, but I'd like to do more of it uh, because I, I think it, there's, there's a there's a there's a business there. I think there, there's money to be made there anyway. But I think you can um, you can you can affect change in in, in at a at a corporate level with, with psychology. It's, it's all performance based, isn't it? Yeah. Like it's, yeah. If you're getting if you're walking out in front of twenty thousand people to fight in a mm. ring or an yeah. octagon, or if you're walking out to give a speech or yeah, whatever the the activity event might be it boils down to performance yeah. and that starts kind of between yeah. your ears it's in your head yeah uh, absolutely no you're, you're you're bang on jack it's it's all performance no matter what we're doing you know you're, you're going to a job interview you're 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 performing you're giving a presentation you're performing you're um talking to the bank manager you're performing you're stepping into a cage you're yeah. performing so it's all performance and like i, I work with, with some amazing people like really fabulously talented people and they are, I, I wouldn't be telling them anything about their sport because they're you know yeah. they're, they're, they're fantastic coaches for that that's not what i'm there for i like to be able to understand the sport and uh, i've worked in a lot of sports that i've, I've never even heard of be, before uh, i started working with with uh, the sports people but they'll tell you like the, the sports people will tell you they'll, they'll tell you all about their sport they like to tell you all about the sport and but what it all boils down to in the end is like when when somebody is phenomenally talented what what causes them to either perform exceedingly well or or not so well is their emotional state how how they feel about it do do they feel fearful do they feel nervous and if they feel fearful and nervous what did they start thinking about? What did they start focusing on? And what did they forget to focus on? Which is, is, is doing their skill or their sport. And so I, I work a lot in, in emotional regulation. And just going back to something you said earlier, which kind of hit a spark and how you said something about self-talk. Mm. How important is self-talk when you're in performance state? As you said, when you're mm. getting ready to perform mm. and one individual might exceed. Mm. And then you might feel fearful. How how important is self talk in these moments? Mm. It's it's hugely important, and it's like we we speak to ourselves all of the time, and we tell ourselves stories all of the time, and we we're fortune tellers as human beings. We're I've heard on many occasions, say from footballers, for example, if the first couple of touches of the ball that I have in a game 
if they're good, I know I'm going to have a good game. If they're not so good, if they're not good, oh, I know I'm in for a tough old evening or a tough old, a tough old match. Mm. And, and we predict the future based on these first couple of touches. And we, we predict the future all of the time. And we tell ourselves stories about things. We travel backwards and forwards in time. And we sometimes we travel forward in time in our mind, obviously. And we think about what it's going to be like. We don't know what it's going to be like because it hasn't happened yet. But we sometimes we think about it and we tell ourselves stories about it based on what we've done in the past or what has happened to us in the past or, or what we felt in the past. And we we don't speak to ourselves very well. And like as, as I say, I work in career guidance as well. So, so um, job interviews is, is a fantastic one. Something that everybody or lots of people can relate to. I, I've heard on, on many occasions that people have given out their CVs and applied for hundreds and hundreds of jobs. A lot of people do that when, when they're applying for, for work and they don't get a reply and they don't, they, they don't get any reply to their, to their email. They don't um, get called for interview and they don't know why. But in the absence of not knowing why to tell themselves a story about, about it. And people say, oh, yeah, it must be because I'm too young. It must be because I'm too old. It must be because I'm overqualified. It must be because I'm underqualified. And all of the other different stories. So, so they tell themselves stories without any evidence. There's no evidence for it. But in order to kind of ease their mind or ease the not knowing to, to understand why they haven't been called for interview, they make up a story about it. Mm. And if, if, you, if you think about that further on then, lo and behold, one day somebody might get called for interview. And well, I, I've, I, I've heard it and you know, I've, I, I've <laughs> might have happened to me, me uh, myself as well, but you know, I've certainly heard it. And people, the first thing when, when people get called for interview, they think, oh, Jesus, I would say something strong about it. <laughs> um, and, and, and people go, oh, my God. And now they think, oh, Jesus, now I have to go and do the interview. And they become terrified because what did they do? They, they hop into the time machine, they'll go back in time. <clears throat> excuse me, and, and think about the previous interviews they've had. And particularly if they haven't gone so well, they think, oh, Jesus, oh, I'm, I'm going to be asked this question and I'm going to be really nervous now and I'm going to stutter over my words. I hate interviews. My throat is going to dry up. I'm, I'm, I, I won't be able to remember anything. I'll make a fool of myself. And if we fear making a fool of ourselves. And <clears throat> so they go back in time, they think about something, a negative experience and they create those negative ex um, emotions again. And then they feel, they feel nervous, they feel anxious, they feel terrified going into the future interview. So then they hop into their time machine again, they go forward in time and think about this future interview yeah. before it ever happened. But they're feeling nervous, they're feeling terrified, they're feeling anxious and they've created all of these feelings. And it's all going on in your mind. 
we haven't gone anywhere. You know, like I'm doing it here and, and, you, and you might be thinking of some similar experiences. People listening to might 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 identify with that and they haven't gone anywhere. They're sitting at home listening to this, uh, but they have gone. They've gone backwards and forwards in their mind. So they, we, we travel backwards and forwards. So self-talk is very important. It's, it's, it's exceedingly important because when we speak to ourselves, we create our emotions. Like emotions don't exist like. You know, they, they, they don't exist anywhere. Like you can't go down to the shop and buy a, a box of calm. You can't buy a box of nervousness. You can't go down and say, oh, give me two packets of love. You know, they, 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 they don't exist. And the only place that emotions exist is, is in our head, in between our ears. And they're created. So emotions are created. All our emotions are created. And they're created by our thoughts or created by what we say to ourselves mm. and the stories that we tell ourselves. And then we feel a particular way and then we perform it a particular way based on how we feel. And, you know, um, Henry Ford said it wonderfully, like, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And you will always prove I'm yourself sure right. That's so, yeah. yeah. So whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right. And who tells you that you think you can? So it's like, and who tells you that you think you can't? And the clue is in it. Whether I think or can, I can, or think I can't, I'm right. So I, I can choose. And I can choose to think that I can. And I'd prove myself right. And certainly if I choose to think that I can't, I would prove myself right. Absolutely. That's self-talk. You know, the, the, the stories that we tell ourselves. We can talk ourselves into or out of anything. And we can talk ourselves into, at least I'll give this a go. Or I can talk myself out of it. There's no way I'm doing that. I feel like this day and age, that should be now like a subject at school. Yeah, because it certainly should. Yeah, like we walk around yeah. with ourselves. Mm. We we walk <clears throat> with ourselves. We, if, mm. As you said, you would have spent going back to that time in the barracks when you came home mm. and you were going, <clears throat> uh, you broke up through marriage. Mm. All you had was yourself. And yeah. it's self-talk, self-talk. It's yeah. you walk around with yourself and... Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it's a very important tool for being able to look after your own mental well-being. Mm. But awareness is key. You see, and like you're, you're hitting it on the head, Jack, because this should be taught in school, that, that how important self-talk is and where, where emotions come from should be taught in school. What is an emotion? Where does it come from? How can we change it? And, and how, can we, how can we continue to create the emotions that we like? How can we change the emotions that we, we're not particularly, we don't particularly like or don't particularly help us? And so, so that's an educational piece is what I, what I do with a lot of my clients. But, but people in school, like kids should be taught that. Uh, to become aware of where emotions come from. What are emotions? How do I control my emotions? How do I change emotions? And why is it important? And like people are talking to themselves, telling themselves all sorts of stories or reinforcing stories from, from childhood or, or early years or formative years that reinforcing stories that other people have told us about us. And like, oh, yeah, 
you'll never amount to anything. You're, you're, you're stupid. You're, you're no good at maths, for example. All right, do you think so? All right, I'm no good at maths. I'm stupid. Yeah, no, that's right. And we take it on board. As a kid, we take it on board. And we reinforce that story for ourselves. Yeah, oh, he thinks I'm, I, I can't sing. So, yeah, there's, there's no way I, I, I can sing. Never even try. Yeah, yeah. There's the dream shut <clears throat> down straight away. Yeah. I think it was um, Corey Carrington I heard telling a story about being told by a teacher that he's a terrible singer. And he said he never sang a note from that day forward. Never even tried. Just just based on, on the story that, that a teacher told him. Imagine so she made that judgment, you know. When she said he <laughs> terrible like golf. golf. Yeah, yeah. He wouldn't have a party yeah. Carrington. Yeah, yeah. And and he's beginning to, to the psychological end of performance in fairness. Um, yeah, but it's 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 phenomenally important because yeah, and, and for mental well being as 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 I was saying, sorry Jack. Yeah, it's it's um sometimes when we talk to ourselves, we're we're really harsh on ourselves. And I, I often ask clients, like, if you make a mistake. And somebody on the sidelines and a team sport or even an individual sport and somebody shouting and roaring or giving out to your, you know, your, your, your teammates might or your coach might, your parents might, uh, fans might. Does that help? No. And, and of course it doesn't. Of course it doesn't. And invariably they would agree, you know, no, that doesn't help at all. And then I would ask them, well, how would it make you feel? And, you know, might make me feel angry, might make me feel nervous, might make me feel ashamed, uh, terrified, et cetera, et cetera. And the second question I ask is, you know, when you make a mistake, do you give out to yourself? And invariably, people will say, yeah, we do, yeah. And we all do, like, I still give out to myself. And I, I mentioned to them then, like, you know, you know that other people giving out to you isn't of any benefit and still you give out to yourself and the, the my, my favorite piece of homework that i give the clients is to exercise self-compassion and to be to be kind to themselves to be nice to themselves to forgive themselves to use really compassionate self-talk because like if you were speaking to your best friend you know, if, if somebody came to you and said they did X, Y, and Z and they were a really good friend of yours, how would you speak to them? Mm. You know, you, you'd be kind to them. You'd be compassionate towards them. You'd, you'd be really understanding of them. And the way that I explain it then is that if, if you had a friend who spoke to you the way that you speak to you at times, they wouldn't be your friend mm. for very long. You know, you, you, you would end that friendship. If somebody else was continuously speaking to you the way you sometimes speak to you as people, not, not you, Jack, um, you, you wouldn't hang around with them anymore. You wouldn't hang around with them too long. But, but as, as, as you rightly said, Jack, you're always hanging around with yourself. You're absolutely always hanging around with yourself, no matter where you go. And you think that, oh, I, I'll go somewhere else and then, then it'll be better. I'll travel and then it'll be better. But you're always with yourself. And all meaningful and lasting change starts on the inside. 
happens from within and works its way out. So my my piece of homework to clients is to hang around with the best friend instead of a worst enemy, because we're all hanging around with a worst enemy at times, myself included. And but now I'm aware of it, and I I, I start change it. Like I I can be like us all, we can be predisposed mm. to 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 negative thinking at time or or. or not so good self-talk and 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 some of the stories that i would have been telling myself at, at various stages in my life w- wouldn't have been very helpful but i've changed them and i've learned to change them and and it's a continuous piece of work and and i think it's it's the seed of 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 mental health and mental ill health i think at, at times as well because i i, I think that's that's one of the causes of suicidal ideation and self-harm, because if you think about it, if somebody kept on telling themselves that they're useless or worthless, if you were clearing out your wardrobe and you found something that was useless or worthless, what would you do with it? You'd throw it away. You'd throw it away. You'd get rid of it, yeah. And, and I think when when people begin to get into that destructive loop of negative self-talk and they're const- constantly telling themselves they're stupid, they're useless, they're worthless, they, they're, they're, their mental, mental health will suffer, you know. Mental health can suffer. And, and sometimes it, it takes other people to help them. You know, sometimes if if you if you think of mental mental well being as a continuum from from one to ten and ten not being so good and and ten being fantastic, if you fall below a five, you know, like you, sometimes you might need somebody else to help you as well. Then you know, there often there's there's a, a therapeutic intervention might be called for uh, to go and and see a counselor or a psychotherapist, which. I have on a number of occasions. Fantastic. Really fabulous for, for self-discovery and 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 uh helps you to to be the best version of, of yourself. And and sometimes that that continuously looking after yourself talk, checking yourself talk, you you might be able to for it. Mm. But but once you're once you're above the five, you know, yeah. that, that you you can keep on keep on working on that and and it's a great tool. Yeah. I think what you said there, it's, it's such a deep root of mental health issues, mm. of self-talk, which is mm. 100% correct. Mm. In, not in all cases, but in, yeah, in, yeah, for in, sure. in a hell of a lot of cases mm. that how you speak to yourself, mm. as you said, you're painting this picture of how the world sees you, how the situation mm. is. Of, mm. And that's 90% of the case, it's not true. Yeah. And 100% of the case, it's not helping. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So it's... I think that's absolutely a big thing to take away from today is yeah. your self-talk. Mm. Big time. And, and it's your sport in, in sport. It's huge. Like people are, are doing absolutely amazing things, some fantastic things. And if, if, if somebody goes to the Olympics, somebody, somebody goes to the Olympics and they come sixth in the Olympics, like they're, they're sixth, they're the sixth best human being or man or woman in that particular event in that four-year cycle of the Olympics. 
but but some of them would expect the medal, and that's mm. below their expectations. And my God, can they have like really detrimental self-talk? And they down themselves and disparage themselves. And and for other people, it might be the the best thing ever. You know, yeah, it would be phenomenal. For me, it would be phenomenal. Yeah, if you were to ask anybody else, if you yeah. would be the sixth best. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or just to become an Olympian, just to, yeah. to qualify for the Olympics. And I, I was asked to work for um, um, a, a team um, in, in, in Gaelic football, an inter-county team uh, at one stage. I was like, uh, um, like a high-profile team, like a, one of the top four or five. And I thought, well, how would they measure success? If let's 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 imagine I'm not gonna name the team, but let's let's imagine Kerry, for example. If Kerry get to the All Ireland final and they lose the All Ireland final, is that a successful year? They would they would say it's not. Mm. Of course. They would they would say, Oh no, it's not a success, successful year because we, we didn't win the All Ireland. And they they have a strong long tradition and history of 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 football and um you know that, that wouldn't be a successful year so you kind of like well how do you how do you measure success and mark your success um i work with from the county football team and uh, a number of years ago i worked with them for three seasons and i think when i started working with them they were 26th in the country and were in the tour division and uh that year they, they got promoted the, the first year i was with them got promoted and they were, um, they got to the All-Ireland quarterfinal, like 26th in the country. And they were beaten by Dublin. Beaten by Dublin. It was the year that um, uh, Sean Quigley uh, pushed Stephen Clucks in and over the, over the goal. And, and the goal was, was yeah. uh, scored and it, the goal stood. Uh, shoulder them or he might have fell over or whatever. Um, and, and that particular year, they, they, Fermanagh had the, had the meanest defence in, in all of the four leagues. They, and they scored the most against Dublin than anybody else in that championship that year. And uh, uh, Sean Quigley um, wasn't awarded that goal. It was, it was considered an OG, but if he had been awarded that goal, he would have been the, the highest scorer in, in, the, in the championship as well. You know? um, you know, with that success, yeah. you, you can measure that, like, because you're coming along, but like, if you, uh, then you, you get to... Um, Ireland final, you don't win the All Ireland final. Is, is that success or failure? And um, among a, a, a team of 30 players and so many in the backroom squad as well, like 50 people, a whole lot of moving parts. How, how do the individuals measure their success within, yeah. within that? It's, it's, it's fascinating and, 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 and can have a really detrimental effect on, on their mental well being. If they if they measure in outcomes, I don't know. I measure. I use some outcomes there, but you know, um, if if they think that just just the outcome, and that's that's the only thing, like, or did you perform fantastically, or did you yeah, did you did you not perform so well? Like that's that's a measure, I suppose. Yeah, it is. <coughs> it's it depends how you look at it, and. Mm boil back to self-talk or in the situation that mm. it's going on I would have liked to see how they've done the next year but it is mm. 
when you boil that down. Mm. It's not helping anybody in the situation. Yeah. I think I was listening to, I think I heard you say before, if the team loses mm. and or the team wins, so if that team loses and number six walks around and he's saying, mm. it's all my fault, I shouldn't have done yeah. this, done that. And That's right. Yeah. And then if they won, would number six still be walking around saying, yeah, that's me. Yeah, I yeah, that. yeah. That's right. I, I, I've, I've had a, a few clients in, in team sports that if, if the team didn't do so well, they would, they would blame themselves for it, and they would take, take all of the blame. Mm. Oh, I didn't do enough. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And I should have. And <clears throat> I, I have to point out to them like that. You know, if, if, if the team won, you wouldn't take all the credit. So if the team didn't win and it didn't yeah. perform as well. Why would you take all the blame? And, it doesn't and make sense. Beat yourself up, and then and then have that negative self talk, thinking about the next game, and be nervous for the next game, yeah. and then perform not so well. So you can get into that negative cycle, negative spiral. But the good thing you can get into positive spirals as well, and and that's what I help people to do. Just just get back into positive spirals. Is, is that true? Self self talk as well. Yeah. Visualization, all these. Yeah, big time. Yeah. So like the, the three main tools that that um, sports psychologists use because high performing people use them are uh, goal setting, controlling self-talk and, and visualization, mental practice. There's lots of other bits and pieces in that, but, yeah. but you could you, you could uh, you could put them into those categories. So there's lots of subcategories from that. But I I would uh chat to people uh, an awful lot about the, the power of mental practice uh, or visualization to when you're telling yourself a story about your upcoming performance that hasn't happened yet what type of story do you want to tell yourself so well, what do you think about it and bearing in mind that we do think about our performance we better think about it like yeah. and some people think oh do you know what my problem is I, I think about things too much. I overthink things. And I, I often say to people, well, it, you know, that's, it, it's, it's the quality of your thinking that counts, not the quantity of your thinking. It's important that you're thinking about your performance. But what is it that you're saying to yourself when you're thinking about your performance? And what, talk, what type of images are they, are they creating in your mind? How is it making you feel? when you're thinking about your performance. So it's really important to think about your performance. But what is it that you're, what is it that you're thinking? So it's the quality of your thinking that, that really counts. So your, your self-talk will <coughs> create pictures. You're still, you're still, you know, if I say car, apple, banana, football, mm. you know, pictures come into your mind. Uh, your self-talk will create pictures. Your self-talk will, talk will create emotions. So pictures and emotions, so there's words and there's pictures and there's emotions in, in, involved in thinking and, and self-talk. And w what are the pictures that you run in your head? So if I'm talking to a client, I would say that I'm OK. So you could think about your upcoming event, your upcoming game, and you could ask yourself questions about it. And you could wonder. What are you going to say there? So sometimes I chat to people before their event. 
and ask them to, I'm asking them to visualize it anyway, but sometimes what, what people, I'm asking them about what do they think before their event? And sometimes people think, oh yeah, <clears throat> I, I, I wonder how the game is going to go. I wonder how I'm going to feel on the day. I wonder how I'm going to perform. And the problem with that is they're asking themselves questions about themselves. Mm. And when we ask ourselves questions, we answer it. And sometimes they answer it like this. Well, jeepers, I hope I'm not nervous anyway. So then you start to think about nervousness. I hope I don't make any stupid mistakes. Oh, and remember that stupid mistake that I made the last time. Remember when I dropped that ball and, oh, and I, I caused a goal. Oh, and I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow me. So now they're running very negative pictures in their head about their next game based on what they did the last time. So they're going backwards and forwards like this time machine again. So I, what I encourage them to do is instead of asking yourself questions about how you're going to do, tell yourself how you're going to do. And I ask it in this way. So imagine that your game is over and you've had a really fabulous performance. And I meet you the following day and I say, Jesus, Jack, how, how did your game go? How did your match go? Oh, fantastic, Richard. I had a really brilliant performance. And I would then ask, oh, wow, yeah, that, geez, that's brilliant, Jack. Tell me about it and take me from your warm-up. Yeah. So then I, I ask people to describe their performance, their excellent performance, not just what they fear might happen, but imagine that they've had an excellent performance. So they're describing in as much detail as possible about this excellent performance that they've already had. So I, I'm getting them to go forward in their time machine, think about this fabulous performance before it ever happened, but describe it as a fabulous performance. And I, I generally write down, take, take a few notes on, on what, take a lot of notes about what they're saying, their story of excellence. Yeah. And I, I, I generally feed it back to them in, in a mental imagery recording. And I give them the recording and said, there you go. Yeah, no, no, play your game. This is your medicine now. This is your work. This is your mental work, mental practice work. So go and visualize excellence. Visualize this excellent performance for yourself again and again and again and again before you're ever there. So, for example, the first time you run out into Crow Park on this championship match, should not be the first time that you run out of Park in this championship match. And, and yes, you would have been there already because you will think about it. But, but what is it that you're thinking about? Am I thinking about being nervous? Am I thinking about making mistakes? Am I thinking about having fantastic tackles, passing really well, being confident, being strong, being composed, etc., etc. And I say to the clients, well, there are two versions of you here now. The, oh my God, I hope I don't make a fool of myself. I hope I don't make any mistakes, etc., etc. Or you have this version 
of, yeah, I'm going there, I'm going to be calm, focused, positive, confident, determined, strong. I'm going to tackle really fantastically. I'm going to make super passes. I'm going to encourage my teammates, et cetera, et cetera. So either one of those versions of you can go to this future event. So which one do you think is going to be most useful? And, and then practice it. Then do it again and again and again and again and again before you're ever there. So that it's familiar to you in your mind. Mm -hmm. So when you run out into Crow Park, for example, you're familiar with the, the surroundings. You're yeah. familiar with it. You're familiar with the feeling. You can bring the sights, the sounds, the feelings, the excitement. All of it, you can, you can create it all. It's not the first time you've been there. It's not the first yeah, time you've yeah. done the walk. Or exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's, you constantly hear athletes of all levels say, when they win a championship belt or a championship match, or, mm. this isn't the first time I've been here. Yeah, yeah. And it just boils down to exactly what yeah. you're saying, how yeah. they felt. That, that's right, yeah. And, like, even um, Conor McGregor, Conor McGregor, whatever you think about him as, as a human being, and yeah. uh, I don't have that much of an opinion on him, but as, as a fighter, he, he certainly was a, a, an amazing fighter. Mm. You know, the, the grapplers have gotten gotten hold of him. But, yeah. yeah fantastic striker like a really excellent fighter as obviously he was because he was you know world champion in, in two weight divisions and he, he, i remember after one of his fights he said yeah th this is another uh vision that has become reality yeah another vision that i've become I, i've made reality and he was big on visualization that's right yeah big time yeah big. and, and self-talk yeah yeah like he's talking to you know, remember we talking to josie aldo like yeah saying, oh yeah He's talking to himself. I often said to people, like, Josie Aldo doesn't even speak English. Like, no. he doesn't know what he's saying. And he's, he's, Josie Aldo at this stage was, he's been on the feet for 13 years. He was, yeah. he was a murderer. He yeah. was animal. Yeah. Everybody had that little, you could see if you, the, 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 I think the only person I've seen was Chad Mendes, but anyone else mm. who stepped in with Josie Aldo weren't the same fighter they usually are. Mm. Mm. He yeah. always, and he had that mental fear. That carried with him, and for Connor to mm. visualize, yeah. self-talk, and, mm. and go win. Yeah, and the tables were just torn. Josie Aldo looked like this, like mm. he was making his debut. Yeah, yeah. And like I remember him saying, you know, that it, one of the press conferences, this is this is my belt. I'm just going there to yeah. collect that. It's already my belt. I'm just going to collect that. You know, was, and and he's talking to himself there, big time. Like so, the more he says that to himself, the more he believes it. And he's, he's sent it to the world as well. So he's, he's becoming public, publicly accountable as well, of course, which is a, a first driver or motivator. Yeah. yeah. Powerful stuff. Rich, where can people find you if they're trying to reach out? Um, I have a website. It's, I put it together myself. It's not particularly fantastic, but that's okay. <laughs> Going to be working on it. Uh, so it's inspiresportperformance.ie. So it's uh, www.inspiresportperformance.ie sportperformance.ie uh, Richard Shanahan is my name you just google it and um, it will come up and my phone number is on the website um, but my phone number is 087 666 simple as and um, I'd be delighted to talk to anybody yeah. and as, as I said to people um, be be comfortable ringing I'm choosing my language carefully uh, be, be, be comfortable ringing and like, let's, it, it's on um, a no obligation basis. And, and we'll chat about your, your, 
your needs, your understanding of, of sports psychology um, and what you would like. And if if it's a match, then then we can work with each other. And, and if it's not a match, sure, then, sure, not venture, not again. So, yeah. of course, yeah. Rich, thank you so much for your time today. I really do appreciate yeah, it. You're very welcome, Jack. I'm delighted to be to be invited on. Thank you. I'd love to have you back. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Rich. All right, thanks, sir.